I want to talk to you about prayer. Are you getting tired of prayer? You can't say that, right? Because you're a Christian and we're in church. I love all the church answers. You know, we always get church answers. I remember um, years ago, I was in this Sunday school class and the teacher said, I will not accept any church answers. And nobody had any answers because we know what we're supposed to say, right? That's why we ask rhetorical questions so you can say what you really think in your mind. But tonight, I want to challenge you on something totally different. And to do that, I want to go back just a little bit. You know, does anybody here have pet peeves when it comes to prayer? You don't have to say them out loud. I mean, I think we all do, but some of them are maybe as, maybe it's, you're, you, you're, you're hesitant to say them out loud because people might think you're a jerk or insensitive or whatever, but I know for me, there's times where I've been in a prayer time or a meeting or a prayer room or somewhere and somebody's praying so loud, I just can't concentrate. And it's not as if I don't think people are allowed to pray loud. That's fine. But I'll just find someone else to pray because I can't concentrate. I can't focus. I'm easily distracted anyway. And then when, when somebody's doing that or, I mean, it's almost like I'll just sit and watch because that's entertaining. It's just distracting for me. Something else that distracts me sometimes, if people use like a word or phrase repetitively. Does anybody else struggle with this? It's nothing personal. God knows. He understands. He listens. He cares. He accepts all prayers. I don't think he has an issue with this. It's just me. In my humanness, my frailty, my pettiness. But it distracts me, and I'm thinking, okay, he knows you're still talking to him. You don't have to say his name every time you start a phrase. Sorry, I let a little out there. But... Having said that, I'm questioning for a minute, is there a formula to prayer? I mean, is there a right way to pray? Is it possible, let me just put this out as a question, is it possible that sometimes our prayers are not answered because we pray wrong, wrongly, in the wrong way? Someone said no. You said no. Because God's bigger than that and he understands, right? Is that what you're saying? He knows your heart. He knows your heart, and he takes that over what you're saying, perhaps. I think that's true, but there are instructions in Scripture that God gives us about prayer, aren't there? I mean, Jesus specifically told the disciples certain ways to pray and certain ways not to pray. And let's just look at those for a minute. I mean, he specifically said to pray in his name. Now, I do not think, and I've read this, I've heard preachers preach this, that if you don't say in Jesus' name at the end of the prayer, that that nullifies the whole prayer. I don't think that's true. I think God loves us enough as children to say, I know what you mean, kid. I know what you mean. But Jesus did say this. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. I think another thing that's really, really important is sin in our life. Now, I've had this happen where people have challenged and said, I think the reason probably that prayer is not being answered is you must have sin in your life. Now, I think that that can be taken too far. On the other hand, I mean, Scripture is pretty clear. James 5.16 says, confess your sins to each other, pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And you know, this is common sense, isn't it? Think about your relationship with your husband or wife. If there's something between you, it's difficult to communicate, isn't it? I don't think that God is going to necessarily stop everything if you've got this forgotten about sin that you didn't confess. However, I want to be pure before him. And I want whatever is between us to be clear and open. I don't want any misunderstandings there. And I know that that's your heart as well. So 
don't rely on the fact, don't, don't ever try to rest on God's grace in that sense. I would take care of and clear up whatever. I love Pastor talks about this when he's talking about forgiveness. God, I want you to enlighten my mind about anybody that I have unforgiveness for and I'm not maybe thinking about right now. I believe that if you go to God in sincerity and say, God, I want to be pure before you, what is it? Is there something there? The Holy Spirit, that's his job, is to convict and convince us of sin. He will speak to you about that. And if your heart before God is a heart that wants to be pure, God wants that more than anything. He will take care of that. Faith? Is it possible to not have enough faith? Oh, yes. Oops. Faith is certainly an issue. A big, big issue. Again, going to Scripture, James 1, 6, don't, uh, 6 but let him ask in faith without doubting. And this scripture goes on to say that too many of us are double-minded. We, th- we say we believe and yet we don't act like we believe. Faith is enormous. I could have put so many scriptures up here about faith. But that's not really what I'm going to talk to you about tonight. What about perseverance? Again, Jesus was really clear about this. He told an entire parable about, about this, this idea of perseverance. He told them a parable to show them they should always pray and not give up. Now, in this parable, some people misunderstand and they act as if God didn't want to help this poor lady. But the lady keeps coming back to the unrighteous judge and the judge finally does, gives her justice. That's not the point. It's not that God's unrighteous. The point is, don't give up when you're praying. I know that you, like me, have been praying for something for a long time. There are people that I've been praying for situations that I know of, that I know it's God's will to change this thing, and it hasn't changed. God is telling us, don't give up. So in a sense, these are not formulas, but ways that we should be praying that we might not be praying right. You hear what I'm saying? Okay, let's keep going because there's more. How about the will of God? Very clearly, Scripture tells us that you need to be praying in God's will, whatever that will is. And this is the confidence that we have toward him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. How many of you have ever asked for something that you knew was just selfish? Right? Come on. We've all done this. Because my will and others gets in the way a lot. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. I mean, there are times where, I mean, there's certain things I want that I know I don't need. And God forbid that, I mean, they're probably, I don't, I'm hoping that they're not, not good for me. But there's certainly things, God, hey, by the way, if you could ever see to let, you know. <laughs> but worse, there are times where I know we do this, where we go to him and are, we're asking for the wrong things. Our motives are not right. Our heart is not pure. We're not heading the right direction for the right reasons. How about this whole loud, quiet thing? Now, certainly, there's nothing wrong with praying loud. If you pray loud, God bless you. Just pray over there. I'm just kidding. No, God bless you. Praying loud is wonderful. In fact, I was praying with somebody earlier this morning who prayed loud, and it made me laugh because I knew what I was going to say tonight, and he prayed loud. And so I just went on the other side of the room. No big deal. I think it's important to pray. But Jesus did have something to say about that in Matthew 6. He said, when you pray, do not pray like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. This has nothing to do with the guy I was praying with praying loud today. Nothing. What Jesus was specifically talking about was in their day, the religious 
teacher preacher people would show off and pray in front of people just out on the street corner just to illustrate and show how holy and righteous they were. That's not what we're talking about here. That has nothing to do with this. And I know none of you would ever do this. But I have been in churches before. Maybe, maybe it's just a memory I have as a kid. But I remember people praying and thinking, wow, that guy's a good prayer. You ever, heard, you ever thought that? Like, man, if I could talk like that anytime, that would be cool. But I bet God really listens to him more because he is silly. How about being alone? Jesus said, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. This is an interesting concept. I don't know, and I'm not asking, this is rhetorical completely, no hands, whatever. But I'm curious, who of us have a room that we actually pray in? You know, when when Jesus said this, I've read, you know, tons of people talking about what he meant by this. Some versions, literally, he meant a closet, a confined space where you were completely alone. Jesus' point, again, goes back to those religious phonies. He's just saying, look, it's not about showing off how much you pray. It's about you and God, wherever that is. And Jesus, you know, he, he goes on to talk about some people that are, have this ridiculous repetition. And this is not the people I was kidding about earlier who, you know, say a certain word in their prayers over and over. That has nothing to do with this. When you pray, do not keep babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Unfortunately... During this time and still today, there are people in religions that consider themselves, if they just repeat something over and over and over and over, some formula prayer that God will do it over and over and over, like a prayer wheel or, you know, literally like lighting a candle. And as long as the candle burns, whatever prayer is written on the side of the candle is being prayed. That is not what Jesus, that's that's what Jesus was talking about. He's trying to say that this is a real relationship, a conversation between you and God. It's not supposed to be some kind of repetition thing. Getting back to the solitude idea with Jesus, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. This fascinates me. I wonder why he did that. I mean, he certainly could have found a different place to pray, but he went off to pray. That was a habit he was in that the disciples noticed, took note of, and recorded repeatedly in Scripture. I think that says something to us about habits that we should form and create in our life. Consistency in your prayer time pray without ceasing that was easy wasn't it (laughs) i want to give you a formula tonight you probably thought when we started when i was talking about formulas that oh yeah that's horrible but i think there are some formulas that help us now by formula i don't mean like a magic formula that if you repeat it just right god has to do what you want i'm not talking about that i'm talking about a formula or a pattern that helps us pray that helps us pray martin luther you know, the, the reform, ch- big church reformer, great man of God, did amazing things for, for the church, for Christianity. He said, the less I pray, the more difficult it is. The more I pray, the easier it becomes. Have you ever experienced that? It's true. It's kind of like working out. I don't know if any of you, you know, like to work out or have worked out or whatever. You do it a little bit, it's painful. It's literally painful, and it's not fun. If you do it a lot, it becomes intoxicating almost. It's something that you enjoy, you look forward to, you you miss if you don't do. Prayer is the same thing. God wants this relationship to be a building, consistent, ongoing thing that you have with him. 
So I want to use this as a formula, a pattern, if you will. And there's many ones like this. This is just a simple one. I know a few weeks ago we talked about the Lord's Prayer. It could be a pattern that you would pray through. I want to give you tonight another pattern to use. Now, I look at it like this. Some of you think, hey, wait a minute now. I'm doing good enough just to get up in the morning and say a few words and get out, get my coffee and out. You know what? That's okay. Because God will take that and build on it, and he wants to build a relationship with you that is much more vibrant than that. What I'm talking about tonight is for you to experiment and try out different ways to literally spend time with God. Now, for this to work, you have to pick a time and make a time for him. You literally have to carve out a time in your schedule where you meet with him. And I guarantee, I promise you this, I promise you, money back guarantee. (laughs) Money back guarantee. The more time you do this, the more you will find you don't have enough time to do it. You don't have enough time to do it. I was reading some quotes from Christian leaders on prayer, you know, some of the ancient Christian leaders. And I love, um, I think it was Ian Bounds said that he had to hurry home to have time to pray. (laughs) I don't think like that. I want to think like that. So let's look at this acronym ACTS. It's a good church word, ACTS. And it goes like this, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. I know those are big words. Um, You could put it like this if you want. Does that help anybody? Cats? I don't like cats that much, so now that doesn't work for me. But Here's how it works out. If you think about adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, there's a pattern involved there. It's a pattern, a way of coming before God that gets you in his presence, gets your mind in the right place, gets you set up to talk to him. I I was serious, actually, when I reversed it like this, and I put confession first, because personally in my life, there are times where I feel like before I can say anything to him, I need to clear up what I've gotten messed up between us and him. I feel like first thing I need to do is say, um, sorry, uh, this, you know, is between us and it's me and I'm sorry. But having said that, I still think it's better if we turn it back around and start with adoration. And, and here's why. I really believe that when we put God in his proper place, the confession part comes naturally. That will flow completely the way it should. And it's certainly, I mean, if you've got something on your heart and mind that you need to get off your chest, do it. But here, I want to take this, even this idea of adoring God, and I want to give you some handles for it that are unique, something that I've never done until I was in the middle of this study, and it's changed the way I pray. If you try it, again, money back guarantee, it will change your relationship with God, I promise you. Let's, let's do this for a minute. If we were to take... The, think about the attributes, the qualities of who God is. Now, if we wanted to humanize this for a minute, I mean, you could just think of one of your friends or your husband or your wife and think of some of the qualities. What are, what are they like? You know, are they funny? Are they kind, giving, generous? What, what are some of those qualities? And you, you apply those kind of things and you realize that God has certain attributes and certain qualities that he's described about in Scripture constantly. And if you focus on those for a minute... And literally adore him for those things, for the things that he is. You're not asking him for anything yet. You're not telling him, hey, thanks for doing this for me. None of that yet. All you're doing is spending time, you know, right? Like kind of a love story between man and a woman. And he tells her great things about who she is and how she is. You know what I'm talking about? 
There's no mistake that God uses that kind of a relationship as an image and a picture of the relationship that he desires to have with us. We were created to tell him that. And as we recognize those things about him, your relationship with him will totally change. Not only that, then if you take it a step further and take those qualities and attributes and then recall and remember what those things, how he applied those to you. When I think about his grace, I'm overwhelmed. Because I think about what, if I were to get what I deserve, if you were to get what you deserve, it would be horrible. But instead, he extends grace to us and he purchases our salvation for us. He puts himself literally in our place. When I contemplate grace and what he did for me, I'm blown away. It's easy for me to adore him then and think about how great he is and the wonder of who he is. But to help us even take it a step further and to, to make it maybe even a little, just give you a framework for doing that, I want to take a couple psalms in the scripture and I want to take these psalms, these are very familiar psalms probably to you, and in them we can pick out some of God's attributes. So you could do this literally in a prayer time where you open your Bible, pick out a psalm. Not every psalm is going to fit this pattern, this way of praying, but find a psalm like the 23rd Psalm perhaps, and as you read it, start thinking about what this psalm is saying about who God is and how he is and what he is. So for instance, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley, through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Did you catch some of God's qualities in there? Anybody want to shout one out? What did you pick up about God in there? What is it saying about who he is? Protector. What? He refreshes us. Anybody else? He loves us. Okay. So what I'm asking you to to try, again, money back guarantee. If you go to your Bible and literally sit down and say, God, I'm going to have some time with you for a moment here. You open your Bible, you look at the Psalms, for instance, and you say, God, I am so thankful. I am so thankful that you shepherd us, that you guide us like a shepherd. You are a God that is personal and guides us day in, day out. You don't leave us alone to wander around. That's who you are. That's how you are. And then you apply it to you. God, I'm so thankful how you've done that for me. How many times have I, have I wandered away and you gently guided me back like a shepherd does a sheep? You, you focus on the fact that this scripture talks about how caring and loving he is. How he provides for your every need. For he nourishes us. He, he, to think about how he nourishes our soul. What does he do? How does he do that for you? For me, a lot of times, it's the morning, and I, I see a sunrise, and I'm with him. And I'm looking at that, and I'm thinking, you know, as a creator, he could have made that any way he wanted. Did you know most animals don't even see color? Did you know that? <laughs> I had a, uh, when I was in college, I was 
microbiology major when I first went to school as pre-med, and I had an invertebrate zoology teacher, a professor, who I later found out was a Christian, and he would throw these little things in. He would say, he would, he, we, we were talking about all these invertebrates, and he goes, you know, none of them see color. All they do is see motion. They have simple eyes. All they see is black and white and motion. And then he would say, why do you think the world has so much color? And he'd just leave it sit like that. And I'm thinking, because of us. I mean, God made things for us. It's amazing what he does. <laughs> He's present with us. That, that chapter, I know that the 23rd Psalm, you know, you see it at funerals, you see it maybe hung in people's houses, and it's a beautiful psalm. But so many times we're so familiar with it that we read right through it and forget what it's saying about God. The psalmist there is telling us some qualities of God that, that we, it's easy for us to brush over and forget how adorable he is for those things. He's a God who's present in the middle of our troubles. We don't walk through troubles alone. He is a shepherd that literally guides us through the darkest, darkest valley. He is a comfort to us, a comfort. He's always, ever, ever present. Can we do another one? Yes, I, I want to walk you through this so you kind of see how it, how it would flow. Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Does that sound like a song you may have heard at some point? We do that, don't we, to a lot of the Psalms because they, they have this meaning and they become familiar to us because of such deep meaning in them. But then when you start to adore him for the qualities that were in there, did anybody pick up any qualities of God in there? How about, he's strong, he's strong, he is light. Sorry, strong is later, but he is light. <laughs> he is light. Light is a profound concept all through scripture, especially even in the New Testament, because the Greeks were really fond of this concept of light being life-giving, being exposing the darkness, being a place of security and safety. God is that. We can adore him for that quality of who he is. He is salvation. He saves us from our life, from the, the pit that we are in. He saves us from, from going away that ends in destruction. He is our salvation. He is our protector. He protects us from those things. He is, this, this concept is just more than my mind can even comprehend. He is beauty. He is beauty. He provided beauty. I know I mentioned it earlier, but he provided beauty for us to enjoy. There's no real point in it for most of it. Now, with some flowers, they're more colorful because it attracts some insects, but not all of them. Some of them are colorful just because they're colorful. I mean, some animals are colorful because that warns other animals that that pattern is dangerous, and yet some of them, they're just there for us to enjoy. He is my shelter. He is your shelter. There are times where you're going through something that is more than you can bear, and he is a shelter that you can go to to walk with you through whatever that is. Can we do one more? Just one more. Sorry, when I got going on this, I couldn't stop because I just started being overwhelmed by who he is and the nature of God himself, his character. And I got to thinking, 
Oh, one of my favorite psalms is this Psalm 100. We used to sing this as a chorus back in the, a long time ago. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God, and it is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name, for the Lord is good, and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. What'd you pick up? Anybody? You're not answering this time? Dang. It's not going to be on there. <laughs> he is faithful. God is good. He is good. God is good. The enemy would like nothing more than to destroy your idea that God is good. It's what he did to Eve in the garden. He, he challenged her idea that God had the best intentions for her and that he was good. Remember the lie he told her? God only wants you to not eat this fruit because he doesn't want you to be like him. God has qualities like him that he doesn't want to share with you. I mean, he, he messed with her idea of his goodness. That's at the foundation, almost the root of everybody who rejects God. They don't understand and can't, can't comprehend the fact that he is good. But you, you can adore that part of him that he is good. He is good. <laughs> He's creator. He is the creator God. The creator God whose imagination created all of this that we see and enjoy. We can adore him for that, for who he is. All things are his. All is his. All is his, including us. But all is his. It's his. He is the God who is the creator, the owner, the everything of all of this. He is love. God is love. Always love. In your worst, darkest time, he is still love. He's faithful. What you say that? You remembered the last thing we talked about. Anyway, okay, adoration, confession. So now, he, let, me, let me take you back here for a minute. When you adore God like that, and you spend some time in the word and working your way through that, you, that will just draw you, lead you into confession, but confession probably different than you've ever confessed to him. Why? Because... His goodness and his greatness and the things that you've adored him for will just so much more illuminate our, our failures and the depths to which we've sunk. It's, it's interesting because there's a lot of times when I go to God and I'm trying to clear up, you know, what's between me and him that I've done. It's almost like I'm just listening. Okay, I did this and this and this and I'm sorry for this and this and this. And I think what sometimes we miss is the fact that it's more than just what we did. It's the sinfulness that we are. God, I want to take that out, the whole root of it. It's not just the things that I've done that illustrate my selfishness. I, God, can you please help me with the selfishness too? I mean, I'm impatient because I'm selfish, because I want my own time and want to do what I want to do. And I don't want somebody else to interrupt what I'm doing. I mean, that's the selfishness is the root of who I am, that I want changed. I want it gone from me. When I go to him, it's because in confession, after I've spent this time in adoration, I... I'm overwhelmed by the fact that he is good, and I'm not. And God, I'm sorry for that. I want you to change who I am and the, what, the things that I've done that have marred this, this creation that you put inside of me. It's different. When I, when I do confession, you're going to experience a difference. You're going to have a different sense of remorse for what you did wrong. You know what's interesting about today? The whole idea and concept of sin is offensive to the world. It's offensive. 
You mentioned the word sin. People get offended. And I, sometimes I marvel at that and I'm like, are you kidding me? Do you not know your own soul or do you not know a child, a two-year-old? Can't you see in them the root of sinfulness that's in all of us as human beings? That's who we are. That's how we are. In our unregenerate, un- unregenerate condition, we're, we're not really that great a people. However, when you, see us, when you see yourself for who you are, you come before a God who loves you completely and wants to restore you completely. 1 John 1, 9 has got to be one of my favorite verses. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness every single bit. <laughs> Becomes more about my sinfulness than just my sin. Of course, my individual sins are important, but I want to get more at the root of it when I'm confronted with who God is. And that leads me naturally into this thankfulness that I can't hardly contain. At that point, I'm so thankful that he is willing to save me. I want to thank him beyond everything. Everything becomes more clear. Who he is, who I am, our relationship, our positional relationship, all of that is super clear. And I know that I am so grateful to him. God, I'm so thankful now for, more thankful for what you have done. More thankful than I could even imagine. There's this great preacher that, we used to do a lot of street witnessing when I was at a church in L.A. with our youth. We would go with Ray Comfort down to L.A. and Malibu and Thirstree Promenade and Venice Beach and some of these places where there's just tons of things going on. And he used to say something that was really challenging to me as a young minister because he would say that there's times where we have brought people into the church, but we didn't really bring them into true Christianity. And that was offensive to me. It was a little bit like, wait, hold on, man. Here's what he said. Because we've, so, we've sold people all the love, joy, and peace, but we didn't share with them the sinfulness of who they were. So because they didn't recognize their sinfulness, they didn't really come to a point of, of remorse and repentance. So think about it for a minute. It's almost like he uses this great illustration. In fact, I was going to bring this backpack and do this tonight, and then I decided not to, and now I'm doing it. So imagine this. Imagine if we sold somebody this idea that being a Christian is all this love, joy, and peace. It's all this wonderful things, which it is. And then we put this backpack on them and said, here it is. But it's super uncomfortable and heavy. And we didn't tell them, oh, wait a minute, but it's a parachute that's going to save you for all eternity. But it's super uncomfortable and, and, and bulky and embarrassing. And people point at you and they say, oh, I can't believe you're wearing that. And imagine that you're on this plane called life and it doesn't fit right in the seat. Excuse me, Carol. And it's kind of bulky and you can't sit right. So you know what you do? After a while, it gets to be a cumbersome thing that you don't enjoy anymore. And it doesn't fulfill all the love, joy, peace promises that you were told about. Because guess what? There's suffering in this life and bad things happen to good people and on and on and on. So you throw it off. And you almost reject it more than you ever accepted it. And what's sad about that is what if we really told people... The, the human condition and how we really are. And because of that, they, they were truly remorseful, sorry for their sin, and embraced God as a, someone who saves them. They would cling to that pack because they would realize that it's a parachute and this plane is going down and nobody's going to be saved without it. You see the difference? And when you see that, you're so clear and so grateful. It changes everything. You're so much more thankful than you were before. I mean, I've always been thankful, but the more I understand who he is and who I am and what he's done for me, I'm far, far, far more thankful. 
I more clearly comprehend what grace and mercy really, really means. <laughs> I have a heart change, a thankful heart. Do you know the difference? Have you run into kids like that are thankful and ones that are not? Have you ever been at Christmas or a birthday party? Not your kids, of course. I'm talking about somebody else's kids, maybe a relative or something. But, you know, you've been there, and they're looking at the presents, and they're like, oh, I got this. Oh, I thought I was going to get something nicer. Oh, you know, and they're not grateful. And then you see some kids, and they just hold it, and they're like, thank you so much. And your heart just melts, and you think, wow, that kid is thankful. That's how we can be. When you walk through a process of, again, knowing who he is, what he's done, thankfulness becomes your attitude. It becomes who you are. And then we move to the supplication, the asking for stuff, which is usually the whole definition of what prayer is. But that comes way at the end after you've taken care of all the positional things and who God is and, and clearing up the stuff between you and him and thankfulness. Then we start asking, but guess what? You ask differently, don't you? Because everything's different then. It's different than it was before. And just to keep going with the different theme, things, you see things differently now. And because of that, you ask for different things. See what I mean? Perspective's changed. It's not all about just what I want to please me. It becomes about things like my will is conformed to him. What? Right. Yeah, what, what's truly important, it's not just selfish stuff anymore. It's God, I want to be pleasing to you. I don't, want, I don't want just things anymore. I want my life to make a difference for you. I want to bring glory to him. I don't, I'm not, I don't even ask him to see his glory. I want to bring him glory. I want what I do, what I say, the thoughts I think, to be things that are pleasing to him. And that is more what I pray about. I'm not just asking for stuff. The stuff ends up just being stuff. And then I realize that there are people really in need and that's more important than me. And all of that changes because I've changed. More about him and less about things. Of course, things are still important. Of course they are. You've got to pray for things. Things happen. Things are happening in your life, in your kid's life. And we want to pray for healing. And God does move. And he, you, he, those, are all mad, those all matter. But everything's different. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Will you stand with me for a minute? We did this last week and I'm, I'm going to do it again, but I'm not going to call you down here for prayer. And I'm doing that intentionally. We intend in the future to, you know, have more prayer times down here at the front and you can always pray here. I'm not saying you can't pray, but here's what I am saying. What I am calling you to, what God is calling you to, is a lifestyle change. And it's not something that just happens at an altar for 10, 15, 20, 30 minutes. It's something that you create a change in your pattern, a habit change in your life. You know, I've heard this so many times, it's almost cliche, but it's true. 21 days to change a habit, to start a habit or lose a habit. 21 days, three weeks, three weeks. I'm going to challenge you to something, and I'm just going to ask you, again, rhetorical. I don't want any nods or hands or anything. Really, it's between you and God. In fact, let's close our eyes for a minute so we're alone in the room, like the kindergartner that covers their eyes. Here's what I'm going to ask you. I know you want a deeper relationship with God. You're here on a Wednesday night. I know it. You want that. God wants that. 
So here you are partnering your will with the creator of the universe. That can happen. The difference, the only variable in it is us. So here's what I'm going to challenge you to do. Will you give it a try? Money back guarantee for 21 days. You can do this Acts model. You can do the whatever. You can do the Lord's Prayer. You can whatever. What I'm asking you to do is to make a commitment to him to give it a try. To work out prayer time with him for 21 days. Three weeks. 21 days. Will you give it a try? Just tell him. God, I want to try it. Never tried it. I want to try it. Like I said earlier, just like exercising, the more you do it, the easier it gets. With your head still bowed and your eyes closed, I want to take us to the next step. This is very practical, very practical. But when are you going to do that? Let's think about your schedule for a minute. What works for you? Morning, does it mean you're getting up early, working something out with your husband or wife, turn the alarm on? What does it work? What works for you? Maybe it's lunchtime for you that works. There was a huge revival in the um, 1800s in the United States because of a lunchtime Bible study prayer times. Maybe that's what it is for you. But it may take some sacrifice. It may mean that you don't spend time with who you know more to spend time with. But when will it be? What will be for you? The next thing I want you to contemplate is will you try this Acts pattern, formula, model, Lord's Prayer, something? What do you want to try? God, I want to try this. I want to try it this time. I want to give this time to you. I want to see how close we can get. Father, I ask that you would help us with this. I ask, I'm asking for something that I know you want to do already.